My name is Bruce Deal. I am the founder and CEO at City Refuge, Inner City Ministry in Atlanta. Got a text from Pastor JC on Friday asking if I would come and talk to you this morning. And uh, we're going to do the most important thing first. We're going to pray for our pastor's family. So we wanted me to let you know that both uh, JC and Kimberly and Lincoln and London have been going through COVID over the last couple of weeks. But they are on the mend, and he said, all things considered, as it is right now, he will be back here next Sunday. And you'll recognize him versus me as he'll have on cool clothes, some felt shoes with no socks, and have just been to the barbershop on Thursday. So uh, let's begin our time together with prayer for our pastor's family. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be in your house, to feel your spirit, and to know that we are your sons and daughters. What an incredible gift. Father, we pray for Pastor J.C. right now, for Kimberly and for Lakin and for London. Father, we know that you are aware of their situation. This has not caught you off guard. This doesn't surprise you. You're not caught unaware. And we know that the scripture is very clear that you were wounded for our transgressions. You were bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon you. And by your stripes, Pastor J.C. and Kimberly and Lakin and London are healed in Jesus' name. And so we pray even now as they are in their home, that the Holy Spirit would come with healing virtue and touch them. We look forward to having them back in this house next Sunday. In Jesus' name, everybody said together, amen. 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 And I believe having been a part of this church since January that we're supposed to go, come on. All right, so uh, come on now. Uh, hey, thank you to all that are watching us at Germantown campus. And uh, Pastor David, I was here last Sunday and I went home actually and thought about flossing after Pastor uh, David's sermon. It didn't actually floss, but I did think about it. And uh, so thanks, Pastor David, for that. For those that are watching online, thank you so much. And I know that one of the things we do here every Sunday, which is wonderful, is to say thank you to our military and to our first responders, our police and firemen and others. Let's give all of those guys a great big hand right now. So uh, just a little bit about me. I, I like to know who's talking to me, so I'll share you a little bit. I, uh, as I said, I started City Refuge 24 years ago. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But my wife, Rhonda, uh, 34 years now of marriage. We have five daughters, Cassie, Kelsey, Kenzie, Kayla, and Carly. And uh, three of them married, one engaged. We have eight grandchildren now under the age of five. Ha! Huh. And uh, seven boys, and so that's a lot of fun and adventure. I pastored the Mission Church for 23 and a half years and handed that off to someone in December of last year. And my entire family has been part of Go Church now since January of this year and love the opportunity to worship with you. Uh, some of my kids have already gone through Move Track and are working in the Go Church and leading small groups. And all my little babies are in the nursery, so they'll all be with us in second service. We love being a part of that. I've known Pastor Allen for many years and a great friend, respect him deeply. And met J.C. a few years ago, and we've become really good friends. Had some breakfasts together, served on a leadership team in our state with our denomination together, and just an honor to talk to you. So when I got his text, I said, hey, I love the end of Matthew chapter 7, so if you'd like for me to continue in this Summer on the Mount series, I'd love to do that. And he said, absolutely. And so uh, I, I, we didn't have time to put it, and I'm not a good techie person with touching the TV and all that, so... Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to read some scripture here right quickly. So in, in Matthew chapter 7, I'll read a couple verses of scripture and then jump to the part we want to talk about most. Verses 13 and 14, I'm reading from the message uh, translation. He says, don't, Jesus says, don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff. Even though crowds of people do, the way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. 
So Jesus has been teaching now on this Sermon on the Mount, starting in chapter 5, as you know, with the Beatitudes, and he's taught all of these incredible things. And then he gets to this point where he's about to wrap up near the end of chapter 7. And he says, by the way, just hang on for a second. Understand that what I'm talking about is heavy duty. This is not lighthearted. This is not something you do in your spare time. This is not an hour on Sunday morning and an hour in a small group and an hour on Wednesday night. This is a devotion and a commitment of your time, your energy, and your effort. This is a waking up and a falling asleep mentality. This is an attitude and a conversation. This is not something you do on your spare time, although there will be those who come along and tell you it is and invite you to this sort of superficial journey, and they will draw huge crowds. But for those of us who want to dive deeper in, Jesus says, this is a lifetime commitment. This is a a 24-hour-a-day kind of relationship that I want with you. And then he moves into the story, uh, the parable that you're very familiar with when he starts talking about those who build their houses. And he talks about the fact that he says, starting at verse 23, 24, he says to them, listen, if you hear me, what I have said, And what he is referencing again is all of the words that he's been speaking since the beginning of chapter 5, verse number 1. He is referencing this Sermon on the Mount. And he says to those who are on the Mount of Olives with him, and they're down in the valley and they're listening to his voice echo. He says, if you hear what I say and you obey what I say, then you are like a man or a woman who builds a house on the rock and when the storms come, it stays. But if you only hear and don't obey... Or if you don't hear or obey, then you're like the foolish person who builds their house on the sand, and when the storms come, it falls away. And my dad was a pastor for 60 years, and and, a pastor, evangelist, missionary, and I've heard him preach this passage of Scripture, and I've heard others preach this passage of Scripture, and I've heard it treated in incredibly powerful ways. But it's most often treated about the foundation upon which we build. And so we build upon truth, and we build upon knowledge, and we build upon wisdom that comes only from an intimate relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, empowered by His Holy Spirit. That's not really the direction I'm going this morning because I think we automatically build on the rock if we do what Jesus says in, prefer- in, in, in preview of that statement. He says, if you hear and obey. So this morning, I just want to talk to us for a few minutes about hearing and obeying. Now, hearing is this uh, unique gift we've been given by God, one of the five senses, Right? And so when we awaken, we hear the birds or we hear our children or our grandchildren brings joy. Well, hearing is also one of those things in my life that's, that's been a challenge because uh, we have this history in my family of hearing loss. So both my parents had struggles, uh, struggle with hearing. I've got a brother that wears hearing aids. I've got cousins. I wear, I've wear hearing devices for 10 plus years now, probably 15 years. So when I take my hearing, the, the doctors try to make it feel better. They call them uh, Uh, hearing assistive devices. It's a hearing aid, right? It doesn't matter how old you think I am. And so so I wear these hearing aids I have for years. And when I take them out, I'm I'm virtually deaf. So I'm 75 or 80% deaf in one ear and about 65 in the other. So when I take them out, it's just racket. It's just noise and such. And so uh, when I first started wearing my hearing aids, everything was too loud, right? And so I'm like, Rhonda, you gotta be quiet. She goes, I don't have to be quiet. You gotta learn how to hear what I'm saying, right? So we're talking through the process. And so they advanced over time over the last 15 years. So now my hearing aids are Bluetooth equipped, right? So they're this high tech, so I control them with my phone. 
So literally, when my, when my phone rings, it just rings in my ears. Nobody else hears it. It doesn't have to vibrate. It rings in my ears. I start talking. People think I'm crazy. And so, I, and so I can control the volume up or down, right? So I can go to max. I can go down. I can tap into the, here, to the, uh, uh, the system here and, and just however I want it. If Mike is too loud, I just turn him off, right? It's just, a, it's just it's unbelievable what happens. And so... One of the options on my hearing aids is the mute option, right? I have a wife and five daughters. <laughs> and the gift of God in my life is the mute option on my phone, on my hearing aid. And so before they were married and left, uh, you know, we'd be traveling on a trip and I'd have Rhonda and I'd have these five girls and they're all very outgoing and verbose and, and, and they're carrying on. And we'd be riding on a trip somewhere and I'd just sort of look at my phone like I was checking and you just hit that little mute option. And it just goes silent. And I'm just in this place of peace and serenity. And then I'll see Rhonda animated, animated over here and I'm like, huh? And then all of a sudden she'll slap me. And I'll turn and look and she'll go, unmute me now. <laughs> right? And if we're not careful when God starts talking to us about things we don't want to hear, we put on the mute option. When God starts inviting us to a journey we don't want to travel, we put on the mute option. When God starts asking us for sacrifice we don't really want to give, too often we put on the mute option. Now, when the pastor's preaching about prosperity, we crank that thing all the way up. When we're talking about healing and deliverance, we bring it all the way up. But when we start talking about sacrifice and giving and what Jesus said in verses 13 and 14, that this is your entire life I'm asking you for. I'm asking you for your energy and your effort and your passion and your commitment and your money and your time and your talent and your treasure. All of a sudden, we can't hear quite as clearly as we could when we would be invited to places of blessing. And so the first key component in this passage of scripture, if we're going to be living in a house built on a solid foundation that's going to withstand the storms of life that are going to come, is we have to hear what he says. Now, it is easy to hear when the pastor is speaking. And it's easy to hear when incredible vocalists are singing. And it's easy to hear when testimonies are flowing. Of course, it becomes a bit more challenging to hear when life throws us the curveball, when trouble comes, when the enemy is screaming in our face. Sometimes it's hard to hear. My wife Rhonda won't be with us this morning. Uh, we've been through, it. We've been through a, a bit of a journey over the last month. So uh, she got sick on July 27th and ended up in the hospital with COVID and spent six days there. And two weeks ago uh, tonight, they told us they weren't sure she was going to make it. That's two weeks ago tonight. It's hard to hear angels sing when the voice on the other end of the phone is saying your wife's levels have dropped to a dangerous low. It's hard to hear God's voice whisper it's going to be okay when you're going to every door at the hospital trying to figure out how to sneak your way in and the security keeps kicking you out and won't let you go sit with your wife. It's a little bit hard to hear when you're not sure what the next phone call is going to say. It becomes a little more difficult, and I'm not going to tell you that I'm some super spiritual, incredible disciple of God that just rebukes the devil in every moment and just hears God sing over me. I sat in a parking lot in our car for six days, basically, day and night, because they wouldn't let me in, and I wanted to be close. And I sat there, and there were times I couldn't hear what the Father was saying. There was time that the enemy was going, she's, going, she's leaving, 
You're going to lose her. You heard what the doctor said. The levels are too low. They're not going to be, boom, boom, boom. And there were times I just had to open the door and get out and walk around and try to breathe the air around me because the voice of the enemy seemed to be louder than the voice of the Father. It happens, right? It happens along the way. So we, we, we thankfully, we persevered. And Rhonda will tell you that, that there were times, she said, there were hours and hours and hours. And she can quote scripture like nobody's business. She sings praises all the time. She's got the radio on, on some Christian station in our kitchen 24 hours a day. I have to mute that stuff. But anyway, well, it's just constant. She loves God passionately. We got her in the car to take home. She said, darling, there were times that the only thing I could say was, help me, God. And she said a few minutes later, I would go, thank you for helping me, God. She said, that was my whole prayer life. Two, three, four days, right? We got to hear. But let me tell you something happened from Go Church. Tell you something happened. You know, we hear pastors say or other staff members say on this stage, please write down your prayer request and turn them in for us or clip on the, uh, click on the QR code and send them in because we want to pray for you. And you know what? There are times, just to be frank, I sit in church and, and I hear that and I go, I wonder if they really are. What if they're really going to pray for us? If somebody turns it in, does that get lost somewhere along the way? But here's what happened. Here's what Rhonda heard, and this is how she heard the voice of the Lord. She started getting voice messages from a prayer warrior here named Arlene. Now, I don't know Arlene, but I'm sure some of you do. Is this Arlene somewhere? You're Arlene? (laughs) I love you, Arlene. I've never met you until just now. But my wife played over and over your voice messages that you left. We're praying for you. God is with you. We care about you. I'm calling from Go Church. My name's Arlene. You know what God, you know what Rhonda heard when she heard Arlene's voice? She heard the voice of God. She heard the voice of Holy Spirit. She heard a voice of the suffering Messiah. And you know, you and I need to understand that there are people around us that need to hear and sometimes what they hear is what we say. There are people who can't hear the voice of God yet. They're not in that relationship. They don't understand how he speaks, but they do hear us. They hear our voices. They see the image on our face. They feel the attitude with which we address them. And so it's important this morning that we hear. But then after we hear... It's only, it's only the first step of the process in this relationship of building a house on a foundation that's going to stand against the storms of time. After we hear, we have to obey, right? It's not enough to know. It's only enough when we know and then act on what we know. I've been hanging out in the inner city 24 years and, and I've met a ton of people in the inner city that are alcoholics or addicts or homeless or criminal that can quote more scripture than I can. They know what thus says the word of the Lord. They're not doing what he says. And so they're actually invalidating the truth that they possess by living a life in opposition to the truth they possess. And, I, and I'm guilty at times and, and, and I'm pretty sure most of you are as well. There are times we know what the word says and we know what the Lord wants us to do, but we simply don't obey. You know, I find myself, uh, 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 you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of a, a 
outside of the norm kind of personality. I like to just run hard and live hard and love God hard and love people hard. And I don't do real well in sort of organized, formalized kind of environments that I'm supposed to follow the rules and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, my, my board of directors, really cool board of directors, City Refuge, we have this annual board retreat. And a couple of years ago, they talked to me about just two things they said I had to do. I said, okay, what are those? They said, you have to hire an executive assistant. I'm like, oh, good Lord. So, I, so you have to hire somebody that's going to take care of your business. And you have to go to Emory every year and get the executive physical. We want to make sure you stay healthy. And so I was for that. They, you know, they're paying for it. So it's an all-day physical, literally like nine hours. You start in the morning, you go all the way through, do all the cardio tests. They take like 97 vials of blood and, you know, they do everything. It's crazy. And then you get all your reports, all your results that day. And one of the last one of the last visits I had was with this exercise specialist, right? This sort of physical well-being specialist. And so they've done all my results. I've got all the stuff and I've read through it and I go in, I meet with her and she said, so uh, this couple years ago, she goes, so you're 59? I go, yes, ma'am. She goes, do you, do you do cardio? Do you run? Do some sort? I said, yes, ma'am. I run two, three times a week. I play basketball uh, at least two nights a week with guys from staff or in this senior adult league I play. And she goes, okay, so you're active. I go, yes, ma'am. She goes, well, do you do some sort of strength training? I said, yes, ma'am. I lift three days a week, and, and I do that, and I like to stay active and all that. And she said, well, do you take some time for yourself personally? I said, well, yes, ma'am. I try to guard my time, and, you know, I, I, I work hard, but I also guard time for Rhonda and my family, and, and I like to be alone and, and just, you know, take time. And she said, huh. And I'm just like, what? And she goes, well, here, she said, the report says that physiologically, you're 10 years younger than you are chronologically. And I go, well, hallelujah to the Lamb for that, right? And I, so can I start saying that out in public? She said, no, because that'd be a lie. But anyway, so um, she said, well, here's my problem with you right now. And I go, what's that? She goes, I bet you eat whatever you want to, don't you? And I go, yes, ma'am. And she goes, I have this whole plan that I'm supposed to give you about your diet, she said, but because you run and you work out and you take care of yourself and you're 10 years younger physiologically than you are chronologically, she said, you're not going to do anything I suggest that you do, are you? And I said, no, ma'am, I'm not. And she said, thank you. Have a good day. Right? I heard her, but I wasn't going to obey her. And at some point in time, that'll catch me. Right? At some point in time, you can't eat bacon at the level I probably eat bacon and just say, well, I run 20 miles a week, right? At some point in time, things catch up to us. So I was 61 a couple weeks ago. We did this little uh, project to raise money for City of Refuge. So I, had, I came up with this harebrained idea, sent out to all of our donors, and I said, hey, for my 61st birthday, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to travel 61 kilometers uh, via running and biking. So that's 37 point something miles. I'm going to lift 61,000 pounds, and I'm going to consume 6,100 calories. And I'm going to do that in six hours, right? And so we accomplished that. And so, uh, so I ran 19 miles, biked 18 miles. I lifted 61,000 pounds of weight. And I almost died trying to consume 6,100 calories. It was crazy. So you have to picture this. I'm literally on our campus running. I'm mile 10 or 12, whatever it is. And I come by the table and there's Snickers and Kit Kats and Hershey's and Krispy Kreme donuts and pound cake with strawberries and whipped cream on it. So I'm running, which is healthy, and I'm consuming fat and all kind of junk and sugar at the same time. You know, sometimes we hear, we know what's good for us, and we still choose not to do it. So we read in God's Word that He says, it's really important that you spend time with me in prayer on a daily basis. And we read it and we know it, 
But we get so busy. We read his word occasionally or they put it on the screen and it says that we should spend time not only just reading his word, but according to the prophet, ingesting his word, right? Eating his word. It is honey on my lips. It is satisfying to my soul. And yet we can't find a time to do that. We talk about first Wednesday or first Saturday or our 21 days of impact. And we know it's important. We've heard it. We've heard it. We've heard it. And somehow we choose not to obey it. And so this morning, I'd love for us to consider hearing and obeying and seeing what the results may be. So let me share a little bit of our story with you to help you understand that obedience doesn't always result in the way that we think it's going to. So as I mentioned, I grew up in a pastor's home in the mountains of Virginia. I grew up in a really uh, cool, loving family. Mom and dad loved God. My dad had gotten saved at about 20, 21 years of age and had grown up in a really difficult home life. And so he got saved in, in Conklin Town Church of God in Conklin Town, West Virginia. And when my dad got saved 80 some years ago, there was a lot of rules and regulations about being a Christian. And so he just carried those over. I have two brothers and a sister. And so we, there was a lot of legalistic kind of approach. And every, basically everything in life was a sin. And so when I was 13, I looked at my brother. He was 12. I said, we're going to hell. Ain't nothing we can do about it, brother. So we just might as well enjoy the journey. And so, uh, you know, so we grew up in that, but then came to this place of understanding grace and that I, I serve God not to impress him, but I serve God because I'm impressed with him. Right? That's a whole different story, right? And so I served God because I'm impressed. And I, and I went to Lee University and I went into traditional ministry for 14 years as youth pastor and associate pastor. And life was good. Ryan and I got married. We had four little girls at the time. This is 24 years ago. They were seven, five, three, and one. And, and I was on church at a staff north of, uh, up at 285 and, and 85 at Spaghetti Junction doing youth ministry and associate pastor ministry. It was great. But I don't know what was going on, but I would get in the car after service or after a retreat or after a mission trip and people would come to know Jesus and I believe they were being discipled and we're having a good time. And I would look at Rhonda and go, is this it? And she'd go, what do you mean? i go, well, is, this, is this all? It's not bad. It's good. People are coming to Jesus and, and, and we're enjoying life and, and things are okay, but is this it? Is this all there? If it's all there is then I'll settle into that, but I feel like there's supposed to be something else. And so we just prayed about that. And, and so then one day I'd been taking youth groups and single groups downtown Atlanta to do work at this little church down there. And, and the bishop of the organization called and said, hey, that little church you've been going to, the pastor's been gone about six months and we're down to just a few folks and we're not sure it's going to survive. And, and he asked Daryl, my pastor, he said, would you loan Bruce downtown for six months? And we think the assignment is go close the church and sell the property. And so Ron and I talked about, see, that'd be fun. Get to speak every Sunday and learn some more business acumen and all that kind of stuff for the future. And so I started going down on Sundays to speak. And our fifth or sixth Sunday, this is our story, our fifth or sixth Sunday, this young lady walked in, stood out in the crowd a little bit, looked a little rough. At the end of the service, she walked down. She was weeping. She took me by the hands, and these were her words. She said, I've been hooking and stripping 14 years. Can you help me get out of the life? And I said, yes. I didn't know what yes meant. But I just said yes. And so we did some things for her that week. And, and we helped remove her from a bad environment and got her some food and some clothes and a place to stay. And, and she showed back up the next Sunday. It's always good when somebody gets saved and then comes back to church. But anyway, she got saved and, and she came back and she brought Bill with her. And Bill was a 52-year-old alcoholic that hadn't been in worship, he said, in 30 years and was one of her paying customers. And during the week, she said to him, I found something I think you need. Come go to church with me. And he did. 
And we started singing that little chorus, I need you more, more than yesterday, more than words can say. And Bill was sitting right here with this gentleman sitting on the second row in seat and he just fell out in the center aisle and started weeping and wailing and wouldn't stop. So finally I got the music quiet. I went down and I said, can I help you? And he goes, well, I think I need Jesus. And I said, well, we usually do that at the end of service. <laughs> All right, I need to invite you to Jesus. He's like, no, I need him now. And I'm like, all right, cool. So he accepted Jesus. The next Sunday, four more crack addicts, alcoholics, and homeless folks showed up. And the next Sunday, 10 more. And the next Sunday, 20 more. And we walked in four months into this six-month assignment. There are 100 drug addicts, alcoholics, homeless folks have walked into this little church and are looking at us going, can you help us? Amen. And I looked at Rhonda and drew on my deep theological training. I said, we've been conned by God, woman. Right now. We have been conned by God. Everybody knew the church, the church in the mountains of Virginia I was supposed to go back to. Everybody knew. They knew, I knew. It's 500 mountain folk. I'm kin to 100 of them. So anyway, we, we all knew. I was going to go back there and pastor 30 years and kiss babies, bury the dead, and do, and do weddings, hunt fish, eat fried chicken, chocolate pie, watch Andy Griffith two hours a day. I knew what I was going to do. And now God has said, will you go hang out in the hood? I heard... Now I had a choice. Was I going to obey or not? I heard. I knew what he said. Rhonda knew what he said. We were living this idyllic situation. We were in the suburbs, great neighborhood. She literally was pulling our two oldest girls across the street in a little red wagon to school every morning back in the evening. I was traveling and speaking. Life was good. It was safe. And now I'm being asked to do something radically different. I got to choose to obey. Having said no would not have taken away my relationship with Jesus Christ. If I had said no, I would still be in ministry today. If I'd said no, people would still come to Christ. If I'd said no, the opportunity for discipleship would have still been there. But if I'd have said no, my house would have been on sand and I would have always been wondering what it should have been. Doubt would have arisen. Trouble would have come and I wouldn't have handled it well. So I, I, I just grew up, my dad was just this ra radical follower of Christ. And so I just followed his example. I said, yes, I didn't have any idea what it meant. So I started pastoring this little church and I started City of Refuge because I knew it wasn't going to look like regular church. And so I said, yes. And so a couple months later, Rhonda called me out of her quiet time one morning. She was weeping. She said, I've heard the Lord. I'm like, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. Because often when God speaks, my wife's lips move. You know what I'm saying? And she said, I've heard the Lord. And I said, well, what's that, darling? And she said, if we're really going to impact the city, we have to go live in the city. We have to be among those that God has called us to in order for them to start to trust us. So we looked around. We, we were inner city missionaries at the time. We couldn't afford the neighborhoods we wanted to live in. We weren't sure we should move our five little girls into the trap houses on the corner. And so I said to Rhonda, the third floor of this old 65-year-old church building is empty. And she goes, well, let's move in. And so we did, moved in this old 65-year-old church building with these four daughters in the city. First night we were there, crack addict tried to steal the van. He was so high, he got his wires mixed up and hot-wired the windshield wiper motor. I came out the next morning, the van's still there and a the wiper going like this. <laughs> I said, this is going to be a hoot right here, right? The first time we filled up, we had a baptismal pool right here at the back of the stage. First time we filled it up, you had to literally crawl under to turn on the water. I crawled under, turned on the water. There's a homeless guy living under the stage beneath the baptistry. 
baptismal pool. He's got a bedroll, a hot plate, a radio hooked up. He's got every, he's living in the sanctuary under the baptismal pool. I'm like, scoot over, buddy. I got to turn on the water. And so it was crazy. We moved in there. Our fifth daughter's born while we lived there. We brought her home from the hospital to the church, right, upstairs. We lived there six years, broken into 34 times. Three vehicles stolen, guns, knives, fist fights. I've been in superior court with guys that tried to kill me. And it was more fun than we'd ever had in church before. I'll just tell you. <laughs> Nobody's arguing about the color of the carpet or the music's too loud or contemporary versus traditional. We're like, you didn't get shot. I didn't get shot. Hallelujah to the Lamb. <laughs> Changes your perspective. Over the years, our offering bucket has had loaded guns, heroin rigs, crack pipes, bags of weed, and tasers. I tell other pastors, if you, can't be addressed, uh, if you can't be arrested for your offering bucket, I'm not sure you're doing kingdom work personally. That's my opinion. <laughs> so God fills this place up with people. We're like, what in the world's going on right now? I mean, there's, it's crazy. People are living with us. They're living in the church. Radical transformations from heroin and crack cocaine and, and alcohol and prostitutes being saved. And we're going into sex trafficking, rescuing individuals. And we're loving on little kids. And God just starts blowing it up. And I just have to keep hearing him. Because there were days I'm going, my life, my family's life, my wife's life, my daughter's life's at risk. The guy said he knows what time Rhonda takes him to school in the morning and comes back in the evening and he's going to shoot each one of them in the back of the head. I heard him, God. I think I need to hear you. I heard this. I think I need... I just had to keep pressing it. I had to keep hearing, hearing, hearing. And when I heard, I had to obey. And what he said was, stay. And I'm like, well, I'd like a different answer. And he said, stay. Well, I'd like a better plan. And his plan was just... Stay. He didn't give me 24 years later. We don't have time for all this stuff. We're in nine locations around the country. We're opening four new ones over the next 12 to 18 months. We've been recognized from everywhere from the White House down. It's crazy kind of cool stuff. But he never gave me that plan. Everybody now goes, Bruce, what was your plan? How did you put this together? I go, Are you lo- have you lost your mind? All I did was try to get up every morning and keep my family safe, safe and love on the, the poor, the homeless and the broken and the weary and God provided and all I know to do today is just keep staying and he'll figure it out. So we outgrew this facility. It was crazy people everywhere and it was really going well but I, I still could feel this little bit of tension because so many of my congregants, so many of the people in my church had criminal backgrounds. I had people that had served 20 plus years for murder. I had all kind of stuff. I had people running from the law. It was just crazy. And I'm like, I'm still the white dude from the suburbs who's come to the city to do this. And they're still looking at me going, huh, trying to figure it out. So this altercation occurred one week. And so another individual and I, we, it, it's a fist fight. So that's what it was. And uh, and so we had this, uh, this altercation. The cops actually had to be called because the other individual just wouldn't stop. And, and so the cops came and female officer, and she came up. She asked my story and his story. And she said, well, I just have to arrest you both and we'll let the judge work it out because I don't know who's at fault here. We're like, all right, whatever you got to do. So arrest the other individual, put him in the car, writes up my arrest warrant. She goes, let's go. We're walking out, running the girls on her step. Daddy, going to jail. And so, <laughs> so it wasn't that funny then. I'll tell you that right now. So. Walking out, and the day sergeant pulls up, and he's a friend of mine. He goes, hey, what's going on? And she told him, he said, we're not arresting the preacher. And she goes, yes, I am. And he goes, well, Bruce, you're under arrest, but we're releasing your own recognizance. Be in court 9 o'clock in the morning. We'll let the judge figure it out. So next morning, I show up at court for probable cause here, and the judge throws a case out against me, praise the Lord. And then word got out in the street about what had happened. 
And so all my people heard, and you know, out in the street they're talking about, years and years and years ago, uh, an old crack addict named Jake, a great story, uh, he nicknamed me the Ghetto Rev. And, uh, and, uh, and then they dropped Rev. So in the hood, I'm just ghetto. And so, um, so word got out in the street, Ghetto got arrested, Ghetto got arrested, right? It's like up on the wall, Ghetto got arrested. And, uh, and so the next Sunday, I walked up on stage. As I walked up on stage, half my congregation stood up. I'm like, if I knew getting arrested was all it would take to get street cred, I could have done that a long time ago. <laughs> so now I just try to get arrested every three, four years to keep things going, right? <laughs> so God's just blowing this thing up on us. So we're just looking around trying to figure it out. We start ministering to these women in prison, and we know them from the streets. They get arrested. They call us and start talking to us. We collect calls, hundreds of collect calls from the Fulton County Women's Division. And so one night I get this phone call. It's collect call, and I go, yeah, accept the call, sure. Then this lady, she starts talking. She goes, my name's Linda. She starts telling me her story, and I go, oh, hold on, hold on. Do we know each other? And she said, no, sir, we've never met. And I said, well, how do you have my home phone number? She said, well, it's right here on the wall by the phone. Call Pastor Bruce. <laughs> I'm betting JC's phone number's not on the wall in the local jail. I'm just, I'm just saying. So just incredible stuff's happening. We outgrow the facility. I call a real estate buddy. I said, go deeper in the hood. Go to the bluff. So we're on your news every night, whether you know it or not. So 30314 has the highest crime rate in the state of Georgia, highest homeless population. More men and women in jail from my zip code, any zip code in the state. 60% of all the murders that occur in metro Atlanta, 13 counties, 6 million population occur in our neighborhood. I said, find me a building. He came back. He said, I found eight acres of land, five acres under roof, an eight-foot fence with razor wire and an armed guard at the gate. I said, well, our dreams have come true. Go find out how much they want for that. He came back and said, the owner said he'll take $1,600,000. And my counteroffer was, well, he don't have any money. And... Uh, he turned that down for six months and then gave it to us. Eight acres of land in the hood, donated. So now this morning on our campus, 36 hotel-style rooms, homeless mothers with children woke up in a safe, warm, caring environment, walked across the parking lot to a state-of-the-art commercial kitchen where we serve about 300,000 meals a year, had a hot breakfast, are in our sanctuary having worship right now. Medical, mental health, dental, vision, parenting classes, financial literacy, vocational training, vocational placement. Last year, we put 500 individuals into the workforce in Metro Atlanta. Tech Academy, and, and auto technician academy, culinary arts training, security personnel, personal fitness trainers, cybersecurity coding academy, putting people in great jobs. Incredible housing environments all around us. We bought property and built now. Walk down the hallway, a private Christian school, medical clinic, 10,000 square feet, a vocational training center, a housing program for women that have been sexually trafficked. In the last eight years, we've housed over 800 women who've been sexually trafficked and exploited, rescued, brought in, loved on, cared for, healed. You're part of that program through the gifts that you give here at City of Refuge. God's done incredible things. And it all happened. Amen. And I'm telling you, without trying to work anything up or make you think that this, we're some kind of cool people, what happened was a little, way, a little lady named Caroline walked down the aisle at the end of a sermon and said, I've been hooking and stripping 14 years. Can you help me get out of the life? And we said, yes. One word set into action and motion everything God's done in 24 years. 
When she asked me if I could help her, it was actually the voice of God saying, the voice of God saying, will you obey me? I'm giving you an invitation to go on a journey you've never dreamed of or imagined. Will you say yes? I heard, and I didn't really even know what obedience meant, but I said yes. And here we are. But you know, at the end of the day, it's all about the one story. And so I'm not asking you to say yes to the kind of stuff we do. You, you say yes to whatever it is. I had a multi, multi, multi-millionaire on campus a few, couple years ago. I was giving him a tour and sharing about his opportunity to invest in our work. And he said, I believe I'm going to quit my job and come work for you. And I said, absolutely not. That is not your calling. Your calling is to go make millions more and give them to me. So you just keep doing what you do and I'll do what I do. Right? So we do what we do. I'm not telling you you need to do what I do, but I am telling you this. You need to hear God. If you want your family to be solid on a rock and not be shaken, you need to hear God and obey God. If you want your business to thrive and survive and be productive, you need to hear and obey God. If you want to have faith and confidence when you're going through the struggle, you need to hear and obey God. If you want your lost son and daughter or your family member that's addicted or somebody that's broken down and weary right now to find Jesus Christ, you need to hear and obey God. If you want this church to be a light in this community like it's never been before, you need to hear and obey God. And then our houses will stand and God will be glorified. And at the end of the day, that way that happens is by doing this in one individual life at a time. I met Vanessa 16 years ago. She showed up at the breakfast at the, at the corner of Bankhead and Lowry where we were serving breakfast. It's just hot. It's just pancakes and sausages and coffee. And Vanessa looks across the table at me. I've never seen her before. And she goes, can I go home with you? Big question. I said, well, sure. Right? And so if we get her in the car, Vanessa and I, we're totally different. We have different skin tones. We come from different family backgrounds. Vanessa grew up in, a, in an abusive home when she was 12. Her mother sold her to a guy down the street for a fifth of liquor. He started raping her. She had her first baby at 12. Defects came in, took her and the baby out of the home. She never saw the baby again. Vanessa dips snuff and never spits. It's just an amazing thing to see, I'm telling you. It's just, she's always got this double dip in little drool running down right here. And so we take her, we get her drug and alcohol rehab. We put her through a 12-month discipleship program. She gets out. She's got a little mental health challenge. She starts making sandwiches for us every day before we had our big commercial kitchen. So she'd sit up at this round table. She'd have bread, meat, cheese, bread, mustard, a sandwich bag, a brown bag, chips, fruit, and water. And she'd make hundreds of sandwiches every day. Pick up a piece of bread, put meat, cheese, mustard, down, up, down. Don't circle your mustard. Don't square your mustard. Down, up, down with your mustard. Put on another piece of bread in a plastic bag, brown bag, chips, fruit, and water. Hundreds every day. The first time Vanessa sees me every day, she looks up from whatever she's doing and she goes, Hey! And I look back at her and I go, Hey! And it's, Hey, how you doing? Love you. Hope you have a good day. See you later. All in that one word, right? And so one day she's making sandwiches and I'm touring a group of businessmen through that are potential donors to our ministry and we walk in the dining hall and Vanessa looks up and she goes, hey. And I went, hey. And the guys are like, huh. And we walked a couple more steps and Vanessa went, hey. Now we'd never had a double hey day before, right? <laughs> so I'm like, what? She goes, not hey to you, hey to them. And they're like, hey, crazy lady, hey. And, she, and we walk a few more steps and then she went like this. She said, hey, hey. She goes, y'all be quiet. She points at the men. And she points at me and she goes, y'all see that man right there? They said, yes, ma'am. She said, man right there saved my life. And then she picked up a piece of bread and put meat and cheese and mustard on it. I finished my little tour and I walked out and I called Ron and I go, we're good, darling. 
We're good. The struggle, the difficulty, the threats on our life, the fights in the street, I'm okay because Vanessa thinks we saved her life. She doesn't quite understand justification yet. She doesn't understand what a spotless lamb hanging on a cross giving his life means yet. She doesn't understand that God sent his only son to redeem her because of her mental health challenge. What she knows is she was hungry and we gave her something to eat and she didn't have clothes and we gave her something to wear and she didn't have anywhere to sleep and we took her into our house. So we just have this incredible relationship. And we've had this same conversation for 14 plus years now. On Sunday morning, I'll walk in church and Vanessa will go, Daddy, come over here. And I'll walk over there and she'll go, Today I'm going to need a 20. It's the same conversation every week. And I go, well, What you going to need 20 for, darling? She goes, I got to buy some dip. And every Sunday I go, Vanessa, I want you to stop dipping. You're going to get gum cancer. It costs money. And I don't know if you know this or not, but your breath stinks. And every Sunday, Vanessa goes, Daddy, I done quit shooting heroin. That's heroin for all you white people. She goes, I done quit shooting heroin. I done quit smoking crack cocaine. I done quit drinking Colt 45. I'm going to have me some dip. And every Sunday, I give her a 20. It's just the coolest relationship. A few couple months ago, eight or 10 months ago, I walk in one Sunday. She's got some health issues now, a little incontinence issue. I walked in and she said, Daddy, come over here. I walked over and she said, today I'm going to need 60. I said, 60? Vanessa, that's a lot of money. She said, daddy, I got to buy dip and diapers. Not every pastor gets that right there on Sunday morning. They called me about six months ago from Grady Hospital. They said, are you Pastor Bruce Dill? I said, yes, ma'am, ma'am. She said, you're listed as next to kin for Vanessa Cowens. I said, I am. She goes, yes, sir. And I said, well, what's up? They said, she's had a seizure of series and she's comatose. And she listed you as the one to call. And we're not sure what's going to happen. And I said, well, can I come see her? They said, no, COVID won't let you in. And so they won't let me go see my daughter. And, and so we go through that for a few months. And they call a few months, about four months ago. And they go, uh, Pastor, we have some bad news. And I go, what's that? They said, Vanessa's now brain dead. I said, her brain has ceased to function. She's still alive from the machines. We're moving her to hospice. She got a few weeks, maybe. Okay. So stay in touch with hospice. And so we're starting to plan all end of life kind of things and, and get ready. And we, I mean, Vanessa's just, she's my family. She is, it's an incredible story. And uh, we're getting everything. And then I get a call from, uh, from hospice, I don't know, six weeks ago. And I go, uh, is this Pastor Bruce? Yeah, next to Ken for Vanessa. Yeah. She woke up and wants to know where her daddy is. <laughs> so we go, so, so we go to her apartment and we pack up all of her stuff. And they bring it to me, and Steve Grimes that works for me brings me this envelope. And he says, you might want to look at this. And I open it up, and it's a, it's a uh, life insurance policy. And I go, what's this? He goes, two years ago, Vanessa took out a life insurance policy for $10,000. And she's been paying $43 a month for a $10,000 life insurance policy. And she named you the beneficiary because she knows when she leaves, you're going to be the one to take care of her. And she wants to be a part of her own home going hearing and obeying. And so I FaceTimed Vanessa a couple weeks ago. And we talked and she goes, Daddy, how you doing? We talked. She said, tell Mama. I said, hey. I said, I will. Tell my sisters I love them. I will. The lady in the room with her, there's a curtain. I hear that lady yelling to be quiet. And here's what Vanessa says because I've done such a good job of training her and discipling her, giving the love of Christ. She said, you better shut up right now. I'll come over there and poleaxe you upside the head. And we get ready to hang up and Vanessa go, Daddy, just one more thing. 
I go, what's that, darling? She goes, they won't let me have no dip in here. So we've scheduled our first in-person visit in months coming up in a couple weeks. I'm going to go see her, tell her we love her, sit beside her, have prayer with her. And as I leave, I'm going to slide a can of Copenhagen into her hand. <laughs> I don't care if you agree with that or not. <laughs> There's a Vanessa down the hallway where you work. There might be a Vanessa living down the hallway in your house. There's a Vanessa going to serve you lunch. There's a Vanessa in your life that's broken and weary and worn out, and she's been dropped or he's been dropped over and over. And I don't need you to have a plan to change their life for the rest of eternity. I just need you to hear Holy Spirit say, be kind, smile, be nice. I don't need you to have a plan to end homelessness or end hunger or stop sex trafficking around the world. I don't have those plans. I'm just going to try to get up tomorrow and do what he says to do. People ask me, Pastor, how do you do this over and over and over when the return on investment seems less than it should be? And I say, it's never about results. It's only about obedience. So if I get up today and do what he says do, I'll lay down tonight in perfect peace and go to sleep. My prayer is that the spirit of hearing and the spirit of obeying sits down in this house in such a heavy, profound, powerful way that you have no choice but to hear and obey and your house will be solid on the rock that is Jesus Christ. Thank you. Amen.